Hey everybody, I see some uh, folks are starting to join us and kind of getting started here. So really nice to see everybody, a bunch of familiar names in the attendees list, which totally warms my heart uh, and some new ones too, um, which makes me really excited to get to know more about you and uh, your experiences. Uh, so if you are here with us today, you are about to have an awesome time. We are chatting with Kimberly Hicks about how Disney uses design thinking. Uh, so as we are get going, I've got some quick housekeeping notes for you. So first of all, um, if you want to chat with us, you've got two options. So the first option down below, you'll see the chat box in Zoom. Um, that's a really great place to share ideas, back channel with one another, um, ask and answer questions among your peers while this conversation is going on. If you have a question that you wanna make sure that Kimberly sees and you're hoping that she'll answer for you, um, you wanna put that in the Q&A box. So you see that those are separate. Um, I'll be keeping an eye on the Q&A um, and make sure that I flag those for Kimberly as she's going through her presentation and we'll have some time to chat at the end as well. Uh, the other item for you, um, quick heads up that when you go into the chat box, you've got an option. Uh, you can send a message to the panelists, um, which is myself, Kimberly Hicks, um, or you can also send a note to panelists and attendees, which is us as well as all of you. Uh, I recommend panelists and attendees um, so you can see what um, what each other are chatting about. I have the great luxury of getting to see it all, so I want to uh, I want to share it out. So uh, with that, um, I welcome everybody. I see that we're ticking up here, so um, I will kick us off uh, as we are waiting for a few more people to come in. Um, I encourage you to pop into the chat box and let us know where you're calling in from. Always a blast to see uh, the global group. Um, and we have kind of a um, fun little battle every time to see uh, what geographic area wins the battle of the day. So strong showing from Atlanta and San Diego already, Toronto, uh, New Jersey. Hey, Dallas, how's it going, Charlotte? Uh, nice to see you all. Um, again, reminder to use panelists and attendees rather than just panelists, that way that all your uh, peers can see your responses too. Um, let's see, uh, Chicago, uh, big Chicago showing today, big Atlanta showing today. Um, oh, another Atlanta, although I think maybe San Fran is creeping up. Um, we've got the... Um, We've got the battle starting. Netherlands, okay. Krista, you win for farthest away from me. I'm in Maine, um, so you you win on that one. Oh, we've got a Germany as well. So um, total blast to see all of you. Um, do uh, continue to kind of chat in that chat box through the conversation. And again, if you have any questions, put them in the Q&A box and we will be happy to flag those for Kimberly. Uh, so uh, I am going to get us going here and Kimberly, if you could pop me to the next slide, that would be fantastic. Oops, sorry, I went too far. <laughs> that's perfect. That's exactly where I want to be. Okay. Um, so I think that some of you probably know me by now, but for those that don't, I am Georgina Donahue. I am the director of the Pragmatic Alumni Community here at Pragmatic. Um, and so that space is, is really a place for Pragmatic alum to continue their training through peer-to-peer -peer knowledge. And our mission really is to connect every question with a supercharged answer. So we're a super generous and supportive bunch. So our space is packed full of examples, best practices, curated resources, and brilliant minds like Kimberly. Uh, it's one of the best parts of our job is that we get to have these kinds of conversations. So I encourage you all to swing by and come hang out with us in the pack. Uh, if you ask a question, I give you a money back guarantee that you'll get some epic ideas from fellow <laughs> alum who have been in your shoes before. Um, and you can pop me right over to the next slide, Kimberly. Thank you. Sorry, I'm having problems with things moving. So. <laughs> no worries at all. Ooh, that was worth it. Look at this awesome slide. <laughs> delightful. Um, <laughs> So uh, a big welcome to everybody. As I said, you are here um, to hear from Kimberly Hicks. We are talking how Disney uses design thinking. Um, 
I'm sure all of you have childhood memories of Disney um, and we know they've been making magic for decades, but today we're really gonna dig through how they create product magic and how you can do the exact same thing in your product. So um, as I mentioned, we're talking to Kimberly Hicks. She is the former vice president of product games and interactive uh, for the Walt Disney Company. Um, and her answer um, to how you do that is that it all starts with user experience. Um, so under her lead, she and her team launched Disney Channel's app and website, Disney Now, uh, and really helped Disney Channel's worldwide um, rapidly expand their digital services, right? Incredible project, um, really huge impact. So what she's going to join us today to share is her experience about how using design thinking um, made such a difference in reimagining the Disney Channel app experience um, to create, you know, real deep product immersion, interaction, and absolute delight, um, which is, I know I would love that for uh, my market, and I'm sure that you would too. So without further ado, um, I pass it over to you, Kimberly. Delightful to have you here today. Hi. Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming today. Um, I'll start with giving you a little background. So for all the people from Atlanta, I'm happy to see you there. Um, I've lived in Atlanta for almost 10 years. Um, so I started at Turner, originally working with CNN on um, a system that we called Newsdesk, which is for assignment, um, at assignment and package tracking. So who's in the field, who's doing what? We rolled that out to all of the US bureaus. Then I moved to an R&D group where I worked across all of the Turner brands um, doing their first, we worked on flip phone technology back in the day um, and all of their um, uh, iPhone and Android apps as they rolled out, including TV everywhere. Um, so that kind of led to my job at Viacom where there was a job posting for director of TV everywhere. And I think at the time it was probably one of six people that really have ever even worked on it. So um, it was the rare opportunity where a job's created for you. Um, so there I worked on TV Everywhere, which is where you sign in with your TV provider. So, and it's still clunky to this day, and I apologize because that was not our intent. We, we really wanted to improve it. Um, but while I was there, I expanded my role to include personalization, identity, recommendations, um, and really had a great opportunity working across all of the brands. Um, and that was in New York. So I'd, I'd spent five years in New York and about my third year there, I started getting really tired of long winters. Um, so Disney called me for an opportunity and I thought it was, um, you know, be great. I grew up in California, so I thought it'd be, you know, a good time to maybe move back. And, you know, when Mickey Mouse calls, it, you know, you can't say no, really. <laughs> so um, I started Disney working with the Disney channels, which I'll talk to you about today, um, and then expanded my role to include all of the TV products. Um, so we have, there's about eight different platforms um, for all of these brands. So um, quite a bit of work there. But back to my relationship with Disney. So like I said, I grew up in California. That's me. My first time I met Mickey, I was a little scared. Um, fortunately, he didn't hold it against me when it came to the interview process. Um, but I grew up with that um, excitement about going to the park and feeling really immersed in that world and kind of transported. So that's what really excited me about Disney. Um, so when I started, um, we had three apps in the marketplace, Disney XD, Disney Channel, Disney Junior. So it's three different networks. If you aren't familiar with them, or if you don't, if you don't have small children or were a small child yourself um, in the last 15 years. Um, one of the things that when I started, um, we, we had conversations about was that the households with kids and kids themselves will use content across all three. So it didn't really make sense to have three different apps in the market. It just, it really kind of created more friction and impacted discoverability. Um, so we made the decision to consolidate that. Um, so when I started, you know, I had that enthusiasm of let, let's make a really great experience. And when you start at Disney, you get, everyone gives a, is a cast member. Um, so you get a cast member ID. So this was my first day on the studio lot with Walt in the background, but I love this quote of, of where Disney started and it started with a mouse and it started with that, you know, wanting to have that surprise and delight to kids. So that's really what excited me about the role and be able to bring that. Um, so I really wanted to leverage that, that kid in me and, and, uh, and make that experience great for other people. 
Um, when I was at Viacom, my boss there was really passionate about design thinking and sent several of us to the Stanford D School. And I really loved the, the program and the process because it really does put the user first and help you identify new business opportunities that you may not have thought of. It helps you make you know, a better experience for the user, ease of use, um, and, and really puts you in their mindset. Um, so I thought it was you know, a great opportunity and it was a really good fit for Disney. So if you're not familiar with design thinking, it's an iterative process where you, one, you empathize with the user. Um, so understand where they're coming from and, and what their needs are and what their wants are. So I think a lot of times as a business, we have an, a business objective and we really wanna push that, but we miss thinking of like, what does our consumer want? What does our user want? What do you know, people that you even visit our restaurant want? Um, so to really kind of flip it of what is their needs and wants and how do we meet that? And that can create, you know, a better business opportunity. The next one is to define. So defining the problem. And I think this is important too, because a lot of times it's, you know, the initial problem you see is not the core problem. It's, it's kind of a surface level. So I think making sure you really define what the problem is. Ideate on solutions and then do prototypes and then test. Um, and so I'll go into all of those a little bit more. Um, the first thing I want to show you is, is empathy. And it's not the Disney Now product. It's another um, experience that we did in partnership with um, Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. So as I said, with empathy, you really get a deep understanding for the need or challenge. So for this um, effort, we partnered with CHLA on how can we use VR um, so an experiment around VR, the impact on kids, but how can we use it to reduce anxiety in the hospital experience? Um, so this was really important um, for many reasons, um, but we really wanted to figure out what's the best way to do that. We have the Doc McStuffins, and if you're not familiar with it, Doc is um, a six-year-old, I believe. Um, she likes to play hospital. She has all these toys and she's the doctor. And so she does little procedures on her stuffed animals and everything. Um, so that was kind of a natural fit. Um, so the first thing the team did with working with CHLA is do a journey map. And they hadn't done this before. Um, and if you're not familiar with this, it's really, um, you, you have conversations with your users. So don't imagine it because you're going to miss some things. Um, but where are the high points and where are the low points in their experience? So you see on the top, we have a happy Mickey and then the bottom, there's an unhappy Mickey. Um, so where are they in that flow and that experience? And the key things is I think it's easy to even hit the middle things and raise those up or the high things and make them better. But if you can make an impact to the lowest points, that's going to give you the most lift in your experience. Um, so we targeted the pre-op and post-op experience as opportunities um, to really make an impact. Um, like I said, we chose Doc because it has that medical play, it has a ma magic and imagination. And even older kids, um, they'll remember when they were younger and it's kind of a comfort thing. So you think about even when you get sick, you want that comfort food, you want that nurturing thing that you remember from when you were little. Um, so Doc gave that to people, but it also helped them understand the hospital experience. Um, so this is one example. So being Disney, we don't just do a VR experience. We do a fully immersive experience. So this is an example of a waiting room pre um, the Doc McStuffins experience. Um, so afterwards, we converted a waiting room to something really special and magical and a lot of fun. So if you can imagine being a kid sitting in that first one, it's, you know, scary and boring and you know there's nothing to do whereas this one there's so much for them to do and to choose from you know there's books there's the vr experience there's toys um so it really helps to engage them and makes that hospital experience less scary um oops sorry um so the vr experience which i don't really have a way to show it to you um, well on here, but basically you're in the hospital um, and you find different stuffed animals with problems and you and your assistants help fix the animal. Um, the response from that, so this is some more examples of it. So you can see there's like a little tear in the stuffing or maybe someone's got a spring loose or a low battery and then you help them through that. 
So after we did this test, um, and, and one of the important things too, is when you go under anesthesia for a procedure, whatever emotion you feel at that time is the emotion you'll have coming out. So if you're anxious, you will wake up anxious. That affects your recovery time as well, because you hold on to that anxiety. And if anyone's ever, ever been under anesthesia, you know, you have that weird kind of groggy time afterwards. So where you don't really know what's going on. So imagine if you were already scared and anxious going in and then you come out and you have this haze, you know, just what that feeling, especially for a kid for the first time, you know, having something like that happen to them. Um, but it really reduced a lot of that anxiety, increased their comfort and even reduced the time they were thinking about their surgery. So being in that waiting room, just, you know, being scared and thinking about what's coming by distracting them with kind of edutainment, we were able to reduce that. Um, and with the game itself, they really enjoyed playing it. They liked the VR world. Um, and the biggest thing was there's no reports of side effects, dizziness or nausea, um, which, you know, there hasn't been a lot of research on kids with VR. Um, we didn't use kids that had any sort of head injury or, or trauma or, you know, visual problems. So, um, so we did eliminate that. Um, but your average kid was able to play it without issue. So I think that was great as well. Um, so here's the, the before and after. So the blue is a pre-VR experience and then the, the red is after. So this is their time spent thinking about the pre-op experience. Um, so you can see a pretty significant drop in that. Um, and then their anxiety. Um, so it really went down significantly as well. So that was um, a really great experience. And then you know, hearing what the kids talk about was just really, really impactful too. Um, and that's when you really know you hit the market is when, you know, hit the mark is when kids are really speaking highly of that experience. And then, you know, they felt like a doctor and they felt like they were really part of the experience. So uh, we were really happy to do that research project. Um, the next part of design thinking is to define the problem. And as I said, this can be really hard because I think sometimes what you initially see as the problem is not the core of the problem. So I encourage you when you're looking at um, problems or opportunities to dig deep and to see for sure what is the root cause or the, the effect of the problem um, and really try to, to delve into that. When I started at Disney, um, like I said, we were talking about merging the apps, but I felt like the products that were in market were really utilitarian and I wanted to bring that magic. So I kind of felt like this is what Disney now looked like when we first started having the conversations, but I really wanted to bring it to life. And I was new to the company, um, so I, you know, I, I didn't want to hit a lot of the roadblocks of like, oh, well, we tried that, we did that, that'll never work. Um, so I started thinking about design thinking of how can I leverage that to create a new vision for this product um, and also you know, bring a bunch of different parties together that maybe had not talked before about how to make a product. And the, the vision I had was you know, based on this quote with Walt is that, you know, he wanted people to feel like they're in another world. And that was the feeling I wanted with our app is that you are transported when you're using it. You're, you're in a different place and you're part of the world of our shows and characters. Um, and I wasn't sure how to do that. I mean, it's kind of hard to put that, you know, physical experience into an app. Um, but like I said, I, I really wanted to figure out how I can leverage all the knowledge of the people that worked um, at Disney channels. We also had, um, for the longest time in television, the apps and websites were really seen as more marketing tools and not as, you know, a primary source for video content. So you had what's, you know, on the left of the TV is kind of what the traditional linear television world that you know of where, you know, it was time, you know, you had to watch at a certain time, things like that. And then the digital world. And I really wanted to bring that together from our user's perspective television is everywhere. They don't think of television as the TV set in the living room. It's everywhere. So I really wanted our experience to feel that way as well, that wherever you are, there's Disney channels. Um, and so I wanted to bring that together and really kind of change that philosophy and the approach of how these products work with our content. So to do this, I decided um, to pull together 60 people from Disney channels and I asked if I could do this and they were very supportive. So it was great. Um, but it's this quote from Walt, I think is so important too. It really takes people to make the dream a reality. 
you know, I could have come in and said, this is my vision. Let's figure out how to make it happen and not really have people understand or feel like they're part of that. Um, so I really wanted to leverage their knowledge and expertise um, and also have them incorporated in what we make the vision to be. So by myself, I could have done a vision, but I think what we came out with was even better. Um, so I got people from every area of Disney Channel's, you know, our engineering, design, um, product team, plus marketing, content development, legal, um, research. Uh, I think we, we even had like, some of our HR partners there um, for good reasons, not to make sure we didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> um, but like, anyone and everyone that I felt like would touch the app experience, I included in this. Um, I broke them up in teams of 10, got VIP guides, and assign them to a land. And their job was one, have fun, but two, look at what immerses you in that land, what transports you, what um, the attention to detail, the music. And that's where the guides really came in handy um, is they had that history and they, they knew Walt's vision and they can point out those things that you just don't really notice when you're walking around, but it makes you have that feeling. Even the smells in certain areas of the parks you know, will give you um, a sense of where you are and what's going on. So we did the ideation in the morning. So everyone had fun, um, went around and got some really great ideas. Um, and then we came back and did a brainstorm session. Um, so this was the, the key factor here was, you know, let's come up with some ideas. How can we make that feeling um, in an app. And as you can see, everyone really embraced it. We've got Mickey Mouse ears on everything. So, so fortunately people were really, um, interested in and passionate about Disney and making this an experience. Um, so then we moved to the ideation piece. So this is where, you know, where we brainstorm the solutions, um, and develop hypothesis. Um, so part of this process with the Stanford D school process is that you do a skit. Um, so you act out the experience as the user's experiencing it. And this is where I had a lot of anxiety. I didn't know how people would embrace this. I was like, well, I, I could be really successful. I might get fired. I don't know. <laughs> um, and I, but I really didn't want people to feel like it was a waste of their day, a waste of their time. And the feedback I had was that it was one of the best offsites they did. Um, so just even, even putting Disneyland aside that they had a day at Disneyland, um, they really got a lot out of it. But I'll show you one of the, the team pitches that happened. To take some of what we learned today in the park and one of the favorite activities of the park and bring it to life within the app. So we have our user, Robin Six, California. <laughs> and she is opening the Disney Now app. First thing she wants to do is watch an episode of The Lion Guard. She is maybe five or six minutes into this episode when she realizes something pops up in the corner of the screen. <laughs> she taps it and realizes this is a hidden Mickey. So next, Robin is going to play a game. When she finishes the level of the game, another Mickey pops up. <laughs> but that's not enough. Robin wants to watch the latest episode of Roadster Racers, which is behind the authentication wall. So she calls her parents, and they walk her through the authentication process. When she does this, guess what happens? She gets this unlocks for Robin her avatar. The more she plays, the more she watches, the more she participates, she gets to customize her avatar. As she customizes her avatar, we're tracking her progress on an interactive map. As she hits milestones on this map, she unlocks bonus content. Where's the bonus this will keep Robin coming back to the app every single day. Yeah. Sorry, it's not moving past this. Hold on, I need to escape out, I think. Okay, can you guys see that okay? 
Um, so from that day, we defined our product pillars um, of heritage, reward, detail, our, the Disney content, personalization, and guests. And this came from how we categorized all the ideas that came out of that session. Um, we also came up with our product vision from that session. And I think the, the best success factor we had was that we collectively came up with that product vision. So I had ad sales there. I had you know marketing, our content teams. Everyone then saw how they can support the app experience and believed in that product vision and felt it was something we can execute on. So I think that's um, really important when you're collaborating on a product and including people in that conversation. This also set the tone for how we were going to work together in the future because we had over 600 ideas that came from this day. Um, not all of them were um, technically possible. We had some that were like smell-o-vision that we just don't have that technology for yet. Um, but it really helped us to define then a business value for each item, what we felt the user value is for those items, and scope out the effort and cost of doing that. And that helped us weigh what we put on our roadmap. We then took that through iterations and testing with users and um, getting feedback before we launched. But that was you know, a key point of, of having this collaboration is really how we feel our roadmap. What was part of our MVP? What goes on our roadmap for the next two years? Um, so that was really critical to build that collaboration. Um, and I think um, when you see this, I'll show you the promo for Disney now, and you'll see all of these factors show up in that video. It's time to open up awesome. <laughs> Introducing the app. Rings up, amigos. It's all Disney TV and made just for you. Disney Now, your favorite Disney TV shows and games in one place, whenever, wherever. Make profiles with Disney emojis. Pick your favorites and watch full episodes of all the Disney TV shows you love. Let's get this slumber party started! Play tons of fun games that bring you into the magic. It's everything Disney TV done your way. Watch now, play now, Disney now. You can download the app now and bring a world of Disney TV favorites into your world. Hey, what are we watching? Wait, I already know. So we had our product vision, which I felt was our commitment to each other as an organization of the product we were going to make. But I felt like this was our consumer promise. So everything that we said in this promo we constantly looked at of, are we keeping that promise? Are we still delivering on that? So I think you know, tying those two together and keeping that in mind as we developed our roadmap was really important. Um, one of the things that I love from that day, oops, let me back up. Um, one of the things that I love from that, I wanna run the surprise, is that everyone that participated in that day, they all wanted to figure out how they could bring their own Disney magic. So our design team, really dug into like, how can we do something special and how can we create, you know, maybe some surprise moments. So they created these fun Easter eggs. So I'll show you what we had at launch. Um, so if you tap the navigation buttons three times, you unlock these little Easter eggs that pop up. So we had fun sounds and animation, um, you know, kind of a, a nice surprise and delight moment. But they're not ones to um, just rest on good enough. Um, so they took it to the next level and kept making these animations better and better. So for this was Descendants. So we had a special icon to show Descendants, um, which is one of the, the big um, uh, Disney Channel original movies. And then let me show you the animations they created. So we have a fun splash screen that we update quarterly.
and so now the animations are full color. Um, and as you tap on each icon, a symbol that before that character showed up. Um, so it just really made it a lot more fun and engaging. So we would theme it for holidays, um, any special events or temple events, we would have something um, really fun and different for that. Um, but the Descendants is one of the, the biggest um, promotional opportunities that we had with Disney. So this was a, a great fit for that. Um, the next phase um, is to test your hypothesis in the prototype. Um, this is really critical because I think we all think we have great ideas, but then when you get it into the market, it's like, wow, that did not hit as we thought it was, uh, as we thought it would. So um, I think a lot of it is to go back to the users and find out what's resonating with them um, and keep focusing on that one piece. So not everything may resonate. Um, one of the ways um, we do this with Disney channels is to work with kids. Um, so I think it's really important that we hear their voice. And I always say whenever, by the time I know something's cool, it's not cool anymore with kids. So, um, yeah, they are, they are much more, um, uh, hipper than, than we are. So we want to stay on top of that. So one of the ways we did that was our kids board of advisors. So this is a, a group of, um, 24 co-product developers, co-designers, um, they're ages six to 12. But I emphasize co-product developers and designers. This is not a focus group. This isn't user testing. We put every new idea would go in front of these kids and we would look for what's working with them or if it's not working. Um, and we had that happen many times. It was like it just didn't resonate with them. Um, we also have them do a pitch fest for us every year where they will pitch a game activity or a new feature. And then the kids vote on the top four items and my team would then go back and prototype them um, so we usually have the pitch fest in October and then we show them prototypes in December and the team's amazing. They get really functional prototypes. So the kids are just blown away with the quality of it. Um, but I want to show you um, some of the, the methods that we used with the kids. Um, so we do brainstorming, we would do card sorting, word associations. Um, sometimes we would just talk to them too about like, what's cool right now? What, what, what do you think is really cool? I think one of the interesting things we heard from them too, is when we talk to parents and that's usually a focus group. So you have a lot of, um, parents kind of putting pressure on each other to be the great parent, but parents will say, oh, my kids, I limit their screen times and I don't let them do this. I don't let them do this. But when we talk to the kids, we hear a different story. Um, so it's really interesting to hear what the kids take on that is. Um, but, uh, we, we, and we go through different topics. So anything that's on our roadmap or a new idea, we'll put in front of them and, and really get their ideas. Um, so here's uh, some of our sessions, what they look like. It's also a STEM initiative too. So we teach them how to do mock-ups, how to do prototyping, how to do, um, brainstorming, how to think of technical concepts. Um, so it's something they really grasp. And I even have one kid, there was, um, he was the smallest kid in the group. And the first time we met with them. He wanted to do the readout and he was so little. I was like, I hope he can read. Okay. <laughs> so he, he looked like he was, you know, five, four or five, but he actually knew how to code. And so not only did he read everything, but he told us how to code it, which was really amazing. Um, so these kids are not to be underestimated in any way. Um, I want to show you um, a pitch from one of the teams, team members. And you choose Wreck-It Ralph or Vanellope, and then you design a card out of candy. And then you get, get to race around this candy world. And if you win the race, then you get then you get lollipops. And if you get 25 lollipops, you get to unlock costumes for Ralph or Vanilla. So that was one of the ideas. And we actually ended up merging that idea with another kid's idea and then pitched it back to him. So we made an AR racing experience where you can create a track around your living room and race characters on it. Um, so those are the two kids, and this is their reaction. I thought it was amazing. I didn't think it was possible. Um, but when I saw it, that it actually came to life, I was amazed. What was the best part of it? I think the best part of it was, like, like you can build your own courses. Because I didn't even mention that, like, last last one. But I like how they added that. I like how, like, you can, like, change the camera view. So, Karen, what did you think about your idea? Um, I thought that 
because they didn't choose it, they weren't going to use it. And then when they did it, I was like amazed because I thought it wasn't going to happen. So that's the best part of the job is just making kids happy. Um, so when they see their ideas come to life, it's just so impactful. Um, but it also helps us make better products too. Um, so I wanted to reiterate as we do design thinking, this is not a linear process. Um, it's iterative and you can go forward or backward at any time. So let's say you get all the way to the prototype or the test phase and you realize you're not hitting the mark for whatever reason, um, or things have changed in the world. So imagine like the pandemic world, maybe what you were working on in January of last year just didn't work in February or April because the world changed. You can go back then to the empathize phase, the define phase, um, and, and reevaluate where you were and, and look for those, the threads that are working and then build on those. So um, don't ever feel like once you get to prototyping or testing that you just have to keep moving forward. Um, you can't step back. And I think you also have to be brave enough to cancel something. If it's just not working, if it's not going, get, you're not getting the, the feedback that you expected or the metrics that you expected, um, it's okay. And I think that's, I worked in an R&D group at Turner. And I think what was one of the hardest things for us to explain is the ROI on R&D because disproving something is hard to put a value on, but by disproving it early, you've saved yourself a lot of money or potentially developing something all the way to a go-to-market product just to realize it didn't work. Um, so there is a cost savings by disproving something as well, and that should be celebrated also. Um, so when, you, when fail, failures happen, but to do it in that safer environment before you've spent a lot of time and money, um, is a big feat and that, that should be celebrated with your teams. Um, so we're at the test phase now. And one thing I wanted to emphasize too, with this process and doing you know, the business value, the user value, that's a partnership with design, engineering, and product. Um, so you have to include, I, I think of them as a three-legged stool. Without one, you're going to be off. So you really need to include design early on, and include your engineering team early on, and especially think about your data early on because um, you need to set KPIs to know how you're doing. Um, and if you can't measure those KPIs, then you'll never know. Um, so I think it's really important to use that team as a whole from the very beginning and include everyone in those conversations of when you're empathizing, the engineers need to hear that too. And I think sometimes they get cut out or when you're into prototyping, you know, sometimes product gets cut out, cut out and it's just design doing it. Um, so I think the three should work together through it. Now, who's, who's leading or who's stronger could change as the phases go. But I think having all three of those teams together as one cohesive team really makes a big difference. Um, so talking about testing, I want to give you a different example. Um, so Back, uh, I guess a couple of years ago now, um, when HQ was kind of a big thing, one of the guys on my team um, came to me after a holiday break and he's like, you know, I think we should do something with live TV, but you can answer the questions in the app. Um, and we had that technology that we use with some of the Disney Channel original movies with um, events we called live play. So you could watch it on linear and um, kind of answer trivia questions, things like that but we had never done it in something that was like critical with timing and things like that. Um, but I really liked the idea. So I immediately pitched it to the senior leadership team. We got approval. Um, but the great thing about it was that everyone involved, including our senior leadership team, looked at this as an experiment of what we could do. So as we were doing this and as we were doing the game show, every day we were making changes. So what it ended up being was a five minute quiz show um, where you would answer Disney trivia. Um, so you watch on TV, play along in the app, and the top 10 players won $100. Um, so because you have prize winnings, though, there's a lot of rules, regulations, so we had to make sure it was fair. Um, some of the things we discovered was um, there's a time delay to your house for linear television video, and that could vary anywhere from 10 seconds to 45 seconds. Um, depending on who your provider is, how far you are from all of the wiring. It, it, it was really, really impactful in how we ran this. Um, but it was a challenge to overcome, and, and we figured it out. Um, massive spreadsheet later that, that Mike on my team had to do. Um, 
but we continue, like we were working on the scripts, we were working on um, the graphics, everything. So it was just a continual iterative process every day of what's working, what's not, what do we change? What can we make better? Um, so it was, it was a really good experience that was a fast, fast version of design thinking. But I'll show you a promo for the show to give you a more idea of what it was about. Are you a wizard all things Diz? Then get ready to play Disney Quizzy, the all Disney trivia game for you and your family. I'm your host on Disney Channel, and you guys at home are the players, trying to correctly answer five questions. Want to know how to play? It's easy. First, you make sure you have the Disney Now app downloaded on your phone or tablet. You can also play at DisneyNow.com. Then to play with the parent's permission, have the Disney Now app or website open and tune in live to Disney Channel every weekday. The faster you guess correctly, the more points you get. At the end of each night's game, the top 10 players on the leaderboard will win a cash prize. And every Friday is Freaky Friday because the cash prize doubles. Double the money? Now that's just plain freaky. It's five questions in about five minutes, five nights a week. All right, guys, you've got this. I'll see you on Disney Quizney. You can play Disney Quizney in the Disney Now app live every weeknight, July 16th through the 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific on Disney Channel. So we did um, this version where it was on live TV and played in the app. We did 10 episodes of it, two weeks. Um, and then we did, we took a break and then did another two weeks. And then we ended up shifting it. It was a lot of labor for people that, you know, tracked our ads, things like that. Because we had to do a simultaneous East Coast, West Coast feed or a separate one. We, you know, we couldn't have the same questions being put up again. Um, so we ended up doing it entirely in the app. So more like the HQ model. Uh, which also worked well. Um, but again, it was an iterative process of, you know, it's working on linear TV, but it's creating so much labor for people to try to, to manage it um, that we looked for other ways to do it. But we ended up doing 100 episodes of this, um, and it was a lot of fun, but a lot of learning. Um, but I, I think the, the key thing from that is that we had our team was really interested in being innovative. You know, we had support from engineering and design teams in this. Um, but I also had the leadership within Disney Channel really support that we be creative and that we look at different ways to do it and that we change things up every day. Um, so I think when you're looking for innovation, getting that buy-in and that support to be able to try different things and, and see what's working and see what's not and, and be open to, well, well, that didn't work today. That's okay. Let's try it another way. It's just really important to, to be innovative. So I think um, I, I wanted to, to leave you with a good Walt quote of um, to dare. So, so building on that of try new things, be, be willing to take risks, be willing to fail. Um, but I think if you iterate on it, you can do it in a safer environment that can save your company time and money um, and really help you get a better product in the market. So I will do me to like we can go to questions. Do you want me to jump to your last slides yet, Georgina? No, that's fine. We've got a bunch of questions here um, that people are really excited to hear from you. So if it's all right, I will um, shoot a couple your way. Um, mm -hmm. Also, I know you've been presenting and so you haven't seen the chat box, but uh, you should know that the chat box is full of um, people being just totally blown away by your oh, work. Oh, good. Indeed. <laughs> absolutely exceptional. So um, as we, uh, as I go through some of these questions for you, we are just going to, um, we're going to pop up a survey for everyone on the line just about um, how we put together this presentation um, as a, um, from Pragmatic. So if you can do that survey for us, that would be fantastic. Uh, so um, one of the big questions that we got um, was a little bit more tactical, and I figured we could start with that, Kimberly. Um, how did you recruit the children? How did you recruit the kids um, that were part of that? What, what went into that? Um, we went with um, through an, an agency that we used for research. So our internal research team um, then worked with them. We had a lot of legal conversations of having kids in, you know, how, you know, how do we pay them? How do we keep the IP? So they have an agreement that they sign. Um, but every year we would we'd look for a new group of kids. So the first year we brought in, I think it was 50 kids all at once, which was a lot. Um, and we had them, we broke them out into groups. Um, we would have them talk, um, you know, present their ideas, things like that. So we really looked for the kids 
that could present, could talk, and, and be um, collaborative. So that was really important. Um, and then as we went through the years, we would keep some of the kids and then um, refresh them. And then we also really wanted to make sure that they stayed in our age demo. So we, you know, we would have some really great kids, but they would age out of us. But that was also our market too. Um, I think that's one challenge um, I didn't mention is that with Disney channels, you're constantly losing your audience because they're outgrowing you. But fortunately there's new kids coming in. So you, the growth perspective is different in that you're always acquiring, but you may not see as much of a number to grow. Um, but we kind of had that same experience with our kids as well. That makes sense. That makes sense. Totally. Um, so kind of go, there's some questions that um, came in early in the presentation. So I want to um, ask you questions kind of going back. Um, you know, when you were talking about kind of the experience that you offered in the hospitals, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned kind of reducing um, anxiety and things like that. And so someone is curious, how, what approach did you take to measuring the results of that experience, like reducing anxiety, mm -hmm. right? Because it seems like maybe a tricky one to track. Yeah. So, I mean, they, the hospital actually conducted the surveys because they were doing it as part of their research project. Um, and they would survey the kids beforehand and after and ask them. Um, and you saw one of them was the scale, like happy to sad face. Um, so they have quite a few different ways to measure um, how someone is feeling. Um, so it, that was really helpful. And they did a full research study on it too. So um, if you Google kind of the deep web, you'll find the research study that CHLA launched on that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I know I'm like rapid firing at you here, um, but okay. these are great answers. Um, also curious, uh, what kinds of methods you found worked really the best for you in getting your leadership's buy-in buy on trying new things? There's so much creativity here. There's so uh -huh. much kind of blue sky work. Um, how did you get the buy-in to create space to do that? I think, I mean, I was, I was fortunate when I came in that... Um, the leadership was really embracing digital and really saw the value in it. Um, and they even said, you know, it took us a while to get here, but we're here. So let's do it. But I think I also just approached it as a big collaboration and that, um, you know, it wasn't me pushing an agenda. It's, you know, what's best for the content, for the shows, for our audience, um, and, and really having that position, which I think some people... Um, can come across of like, I'm just going to push my agenda, whether it's intentional or not. Um, and have being open to show what's working and what's not. I think sometimes people hide the bad news. Um, but, you know, I was always willing to share that as well and, and to say, you know, I don't think this is the right path to go on, um, you know, and, and, and explain why. So I, I think it's really important to have data but you also have to trust your instinct and trust your gut too, and measure those together. And a lot of that comes with experience, but I think just to be able to, to say why you think something's valuable or why it's not um, is really important. And believe me, there were many ideas I pitched that <laughs> didn't go well. My process was I would, I would kind of pitch it as early concept. What do you guys think about this? And then kind of keep developing it. So I didn't, I, I tried not to have like a big, like, here's this giant thing we want to do. It kind of ease into it as well, I think was helpful. Awesome. <laughs> that's a very, uh, that's a very shrewd approach to kind of gauge the reactions early. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's see. Um, so there's, there's questions coming in for you really fast now. So I'm trying to um, pick ones that, um, that came in first. Um, so quick question. Um, does Disney have a specific UX team? I think the answer might yes. be yes. Um, yes, or absolutely. Okay. And do you use external resources as well? Or is it, are you all in-house? Most of the designers are in-house. Um, I think sometimes, you know, if they need to supplement resources, they'll get somebody, but most of them are in-house and they're amazing. Um, you know, we have motion designers, UX focused people. I mean, it's a very rich team, um, but we use for research, we use internal and external, um, but, you know, really amazing research team. And, you know, that 
is such a primary partner to have. Because um, even when I would have that little early idea, you know, as I'm as I'm pitching it to the leadership team, I'm also talking to them like, hey, what do you guys think about this? You know, can we get some data around it? Can we see who else is doing it? Plus, we would always do competitive analysis ourselves. Um, our research team would do it. Our UX team would do it. The product team would do it um, to kind of see what's going on. But I think you know, having those really solid teams and then supplementing them as needed is important. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I loved the idea of getting your whole team together um, for that morning in the park uh, that you shared, and that was such a powerful example of, of the ideation that you did the video of the the live experience. Um, how did you really? prime the participants on your team for that morning in the park? What did you tell them to look for? <laughs> I told them we were going to do a half day in the park and then we were going to do a brainstorm. And I think I shared the vision of, you know, I want to figure out how we um, can kind of bottle that magic that you have in the park into an app experience. So they had the context but I didn't really give them too much ahead of time because I didn't want people to overthink it or um, get nervous about it. But I think one, because everyone really worked with kids already that were kind of in the space. And then after you're in the parks for a day or a half day, you're kind of in that mindset. So I think it worked well. I don't know if I caught them right off, you know, coming into work on a on Monday morning, if everyone would have been so excited about it. <laughs> right, right. That makes sense. I mean, I can tell you even just following along with your presentation, it makes me excited, right? Like that's the kind, you can definitely get in that spirit. Mm -hmm. So I think that the attitude and the mindset is important. Um, would you say that there are kind of cultural aspects or indicators that are important for really allowing design thinking to thrive in addition? Yeah, I don't know that it would just automatically work in any organization. Um, and I've taken bits of that since then. So even as we're looking at a new concept of just bringing those parties together just to brainstorm a concept, maybe without the big, you know, park day or something like that. Um, but I think having that day also set people up to be able to drop in for a brainstorm session or a planning session. Um, or, you know, if we're working on a big feature looking at, you know, having marketing there, thinking ahead of like, how would we promote this? Having legal there, thinking of any impact. Um, so it kind of helped train everybody to take that same approach. So I think it was really helpful. Um, but when I went to D school, it was like USA Bank had their entire leadership team there. You know, so I, I feel like it is a top-down thing because if it's like, if I showed up, even if I'd showed up in Bob Iger's office and we did this pitch, I don't, Bob's a pretty innovative person, but I don't know what his initial reaction would be. Like, why are you guys acting out this pitch to me, you know? Um, so I think you have to make sure your leadership is kind of prepped for the approach as well so they can get it and follow along. Um, but you kind of have to know your audience with it, I think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I feel like this is also touching on something that I, I personally asked you when we were setting up this conversation. Um, is, you know, from the outside, it looks like, wow, like all of this luxurious space to be so creative and just kind of zany and come up with these brilliant um, design ideas. Um, and you said, no, it's, you know, everyone has to fight for that space to, oh, yeah. to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a question here as well that's touching on the same thing. Do you have other pieces of advice for leaders that are really trying to create space for design thinking in their own work? Um, what worked for you? Yeah, and I think, you know, based on our conversation we had before is, you know, we had a tight timeline to get this product down. We, it was developed in about eight months um, for multiple platforms. So it was a constant give and take on what is our MVP. And to me, I feel someone's first experience with the product is the experience with the product. And you really have one time to catch them. So if we didn't have some of that magic with kids, I felt like it was a miss. And you can add it later, but it just is not as good of an experience and you, they may not come back. Um, so that was a constant conversation of what is truly MVP and why are these bells and whistles that some people saw them as MVP. Um, so it was, you know, really kind of figuring out what's the most impact to our user? What can we do in the timeline that we have? And then what do we feel on our roadmap? 
going forward. Um, so I think, you know, there's a balance there, but um, I, I do think you do have to look at the full experience when you're looking at your MVP of what you're going to launch with and don't just make it, you know, totally utilitarian and basic if that's not the intent of your product. Um, I also feel like every product kind of has an emotion that goes with it. And, you know, I wanted that fun and that surprise and delight and, you know, that excitement around this product. So if you don't have that emotion, I think you're, you're missing on a big opportunity with that. Um, and I, what was the rest of your question? Sorry, I got really excited I, about that part. <laughs> I think you beautifully answered it. Okay, good. <laughs> I think that is absolutely wonderful. Um, so, you know, pivoting a little from this like really beautiful kind of creative, almost zany space, right? How do you then take your ideas and determine which ones are going to be commercially viable? Who's going to mm -hmm. be willing to pay for it, right? Obviously smell vision isn't happening because it's not possible, but right. what, what else gets left on the cutting room floor? Yeah. Well, and that's where, you know, we would go through that iterative process. So I think, you know, doing an early estimation of the business value and the user value um, that's so subjective though, because if it's my big idea, I think it might have great business value and great user value when it really doesn't. Um, so to look objectively at that, and I think to have multiple parties kind of chime in of what the business value and user value is, um, I think is really important. Um, then looking at that level effort and the cost and weighing those things. So if it's super high user value, super high business value, easy to do, then, you know, let's do it. Um, if it's, if those numbers are off. Um, so if it's a big effort with little user value, maybe big business value, it's like, well, maybe we need to rethink this to figure out what the user value is for it. So it, I think, you know, weighing those options, um, plus, you know, functionality. I mean, you have to have your basic functionality, um, but then going through that testing process, that's where you get that feedback of, is this really, the business value is this really the user value we thought it was um and that this one thing that frustrates me with data is you know we can all make data show whatever we want um so you know you do need to look authentically at data and be willing to take you know i, I would rather face my that my great idea maybe wasn't so great before we launch than you know push through and keep pushing it just to get it out in the market to see yeah it really wasn't <laughs> still isn't a good idea um so i think that iterative process and getting you know user feedback is really important i prefer you know you one-on-one -on -one or small group user testing or you know like our, our kids board of advisors over a focus group um i think focus groups are early to figure out a concept but i think after that you get a lot of group think and if you have a strong person that likes or dislikes something other people tend to follow um so i think for when you're getting more tactical and, and getting you know an actual functional prototype together i would rather you know do user testing and get that feedback yeah. makes sense makes sense all right last question for you um, cause uh, there's some other questions here, but I think you've kind of answered them as we've gone along with other questions. Um, but this one is really interesting. Um, curious about if your team ever went back to the well in terms of looking at very old content, right? Cause Disney has been around for so long. There's such a plethora of content. Um, did you ever go back and look at old content to evaluate it in a new, as a new life, um, mm -hmm. in the modern world? Yeah, we had a lot of, um, since, since Disney Plus launched, it kind of changed our content strategy, but we would have a lot of library content. And it's, I mean, even like Friends is one of the top shows with kids six to 12 still, um, which is really amazing. Um, and when I think about it, I'm like, there's some content in there that are topics in there. I don't know if kids would, should be hearing, but I don't think they understand it. Um, but we had a lot of old shows that kids today still really liked. Um, so we would pull that in and leverage that as well. Um, plus part of my teams is Games Interactive, which I didn't mention. Um, so that team really would develop games and activities to help promote the shows and characters and deepen the relationships with the shows and characters. So I think that kind of brought the whole product together of not only do we have this video content, but then you have um, these, these you know, fun games, activities um, that you can play to help, you know, kind of build that world in, in your mind around that character or that show. Yeah, awesome, makes sense. Um, all right, I am going to wrap us here because I could chat about this all day. I feel like a lot of other folks could chat about this all day. 
Um, so if you uh, really enjoyed this, like I did, I encourage you to uh, reach out to Kimberly on LinkedIn. Um, you can also uh, come hang out with us um, in the pack and ask some of these questions there. Um, I do I also want to say, <laughs> oh, wonderful, thank you. Um, I do also want to say uh, that I really encourage you to check out the new course uh, from Pragmatic. It's for product managers called Design. Um, and it's totally up this alley where you can learn how to partner with designers across product development and life cycles um, so that you are also creating innovative and human-centered products that are totally delightful, uh, just like Kimberly. So um, highly encourage you to check that out um, and also uh, follow along with Kimberly. Until then, um, I will see you at our next product chat in a couple weeks. Um, Kimberly, thank you so much. That was fantastic. Uh, thank really you. Enjoyed that. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Mm -hmm.